Matter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Jesus loved to tell stories, and in Luke 8, we find two of them. The first one is the parable of the sower, and the second one is about a lamp or a light, and this is the one that we're going to look at this morning. Firstly, let's imagine the scene before us. Thousands of people sitting on the hillside, listening intently to every word that Jesus spoke. And as we listen, to him in verse 16, we see that Jesus also had a great sense of humor. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a jar or puts it under a bed. I can imagine everyone smiling because they were all very familiar with lamps and candles because these were the only lights that they had and they would never dream of putting it under the bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. Jesus was illustrating how we are to be the lights of the world. And in verses 17 and 18, he becomes a little more serious as he tells the people, God, what God reveals to us in secret through his word and by his spirit, he expects us then to live it and to share it. If we don't live it, he tells us in verse 18, the truth will be taken from us. So it is very important that we walk in the light. A number of years ago, a young woman that I was talking to told me that she worked in an office or had worked in an office for three years and no one knew that she was a Christian. All of her co-workers were non-believers and she felt that it was best not to say anything. But the truth was, she shouldn't have needed to say anything. They should have known by the way she lived and worked. A Christian should be the most honest person at work, the most cheerful, the most punctual, always on time, the most considerate and thoughtful. And to those who walk in the light and live the life, Jesus gives a beautiful commendation in verse 21. He calls us, his brothers and sisters. And so remember, don't put your lamp under the bed, but rather put it on a stand. Let the love of God shine through our lives so that others will see the light and will find their way home to the kingdom of God. We're very glad today to welcome every person to the Community Adventist Fellowship. We meet every Saturday morning at 10.45 a.m. Our address is 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale, California. When you're in Southern California, we invite you to join us 
at the Community Adventist Fellowship. Once again, our address is 333 East Colorado Street, Glendale. Uh, that's just uh, one block down the road from Brand. Today, I want to send my greetings and the greetings of our church to our wonderful supporters on 3ABN and other systems across North America. I want to send a special greeting down to the Cayman Islands to the, the Thompson family. And uh, we're so glad to have known you, dear folks, and we hope some time to come down and visit you soon in the Cayman Islands. Uh, we want to say a special greeting to Danny and Linda Shelton, who are our partners in the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Danny and Linda and other members of the 3ABN crew are going with us shortly to the city of Kiev. Today, we're going to talk about the last great crisis in the world, the last great religious crisis, which is almost upon us. And before we turn to Daniel chapter 6, I want you to come with me to Revelation 13 and verse 11 and onwards, which talks about the last great crisis. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11 and onwards, if you don't mind, please. Glad to see you here today, Steve. You okay? Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. The prophet said, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Let us talk about this for a moment. In Revelation chapter 13, there are two beasts. The first beast is the great original Antichrist that represents the coalition of church and state that ruled the world in the Dark Ages and that brought about the, the horrors of persecution. Then the Bible describes a second beast that comes on the world scene. And the Bible says that this beast sets up an organization that is called in Holy Scripture the image of the beast or the copy of the beast. What is the first beast? From our previous Bible studies, we understand that the first beast is an apostate church joined to the state enforcing religious laws. This, of course, is the picture of the Dark Ages when the great state church ruled the world and put to death, some commentators say, a hundred million people. The image of the beast would be a copy of the first beast, just as if I were to say to you, you are the image of your father, it would mean you are the copy of your father, you look like your father. The image of the beast represents a latter-day system which will be a coalition of church and state 
that enforces the laws not of God but of the laws of men even though the enforcers believe the laws they are enforcing are the laws of God. And this system will bring about a reign of terror to the sons of men. I believe that we are going to see the last great crisis. I have here today one of my favorite old books, A Manual of Church History by Dr. Newman. And I'm going to read to you very briefly today some statements here on the Inquisition. Because the Inquisition was the logical development of what happens when the church and the state join together and enforce religious laws. Listen. The inquisition of heresy was from the early time a function of each bishop and in a sense of each parish priest. Heresy was looked upon by churchmen as the greatest possible evil and the heretic as the enemy of God and men and as worthy of no humane consideration. Is it possible for us to comprehend today that the greatest persecutors of people in this world have not been secular people, but have been the most pious religious fanatics. Religious fanatics. The Emperor Frederick True, though a pronounced antagonist of the church, joined hands with the leader of the church in the persecution of heresy. Heresy of every kind was made a criminal offense. Obstinate heretics were condemned to the stake. Those that recanted were to be imprisoned for life. Those that relapsed were to be executed. Then it talks about some of the monstrosities. In Italy, Spain, and southern France, the Inquisition was established in all of its irresponsibility and terrible rigor. The evils of the Inquisition were exaggerated by the fact that the avarice of the ecclesiastical authorities and of informers was greatly stimulated by the practice of confiscating the estates of convicted heretics. The benefit of the doubt was by no means likely be, to be given to the one who had fallen into the clutches of the Inquisition as evidence must be found for the conviction of suspected heretics, torture in its most exquisite and varied forms was employed in order to compel confession of personal guilt and betrayal of accomplices. The leaders of the church invented the most insidious forms of torture to exert the greatest pain while prolonging the life. The details of the inquisitorial process, including the accusation, the denunciation, the examination, the application of torture, imprisonment in the dungeons of the Inquisition with all the horrible accessories that human ingenuity could devise, the sentence with the mocking prayer to the civil authorities for executive clemency, the execution, the confiscation of estates, the branding of the families of condemned heretics with perpetual infamy, and so forth. In the Inquisition, 
all the worst features of pagan cruelty were revived and intensified indefinitely and multiplied. The Inquisition destroyed hundreds of thousands of the most earnest and steadfast representatives of evangelical Christianity. History has seen no bloodier pages than those pages that were written by the church joined to the state. The greatest abomination in the history of the world occurred when the beast joined to the state and enforced religious laws. And the Bible says, if you'll read on, that this awful condition is going to be repeated in our day. Would you please notice in Revelation 13. Revelation 13 and verse 15, he was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, and so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Listen carefully to me. The Bible says that the greatest time of testing for the church and for the world is still ahead. And Bible prophecy indicates that this time is coming on apace. The Bible teaches that the wedding together of church and state leads to the most pernicious errors and human tragedies. Listen carefully to this. The Bible teaches the great truth of freedom of conscience. That God has made me in his own image and the only loyalty that God will accept from me is the loyalty that comes from love. Did you hear this? Love cannot be forced. This was the damnation of the Spanish Inquisition because they tried to make Christians by forcing them to become Christians. Love cannot be forced. Did you hear this? Love cannot be forced. Today in the United States of America, listen to these words, there has arisen a Christian coalition of good people and with me they deplore the iniquities in the land, they deplore the unchecked abortions, they deplore the filth of Hollywood, and earnest good people are saying enough is enough, and I say enough is enough, but I would say this to you, you will never reform society through political power. Reformation comes through the work of the Holy Spirit, Daniel, in the heart. Amen. In the heart. But there are good men in this great country who are gathering together various elements of our society and they're saying, we are Christians and we are going to be heard in the chambers of, of power. 
And we will so influence Congress that we will have one day a Christian nation and Jesus will be king. And if you walk out on the streets of Los Angeles or the streets of many other cities in this great land and say, what do you think of the concept of Congress setting up a Christian nation where Jesus is king? Many would say, glory, hallelujah. Not recognizing that in so doing, they would be setting up not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of Antichrist. Because the kingdom of God does not come through political power. It comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And whenever the church... And remember, the inquisitors were not bad men. They were the very best men. They were the Pharisees of their age. And they tortured pregnant women until their bodies burst to save their souls. Beware of any man who would save your soul through force rather than through the power of the Spirit of God. The only worship that God will accept is the worship that comes from a loving heart. If you are serving God today because you're afraid to do anything else, then your worship is an abomination in the sight of God. If you're here in this church today because you are afraid of the fires of hell, it is because you do not know God. The Inquisition was man's attempt to make Christians through the power of the state. And the Bible says it is going to happen in the last days. It is going to be repeated. And Daniel chapter 6 is not only the story of the persecution of Daniel who represents the church. It is not only dusty history, it is a foretaste of what is going to happen in our own day. Therefore, notice it well, and may the words sink down into your minds. And please turn to Daniel chapter 6. And as the Anglicans would say, here endeth the first lesson. Get ready now. Daniel 6 is the record of how Medo-Persia sought through religious legislation to destroy the prophet Daniel representing the people of God. It is not only history, but a foretaste of what is going to happen. Now listen, I want to give a warning to every person who's come into this church today. We are not an ordinary church. We do not get together for entertainment. We get together to study the word of God and to get ready for the coming of Christ. I want to say to every person here today, there are Bibles in the pews, and I would advise you to get a Bible. We only guarantee the salvation of those souls who look up the texts. Therefore, take a Bible from the pew and read the text. Jesus said, it is written, say it with me, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we are tired of playing church. We are here today to hear the word of God. Now please, notice Daniel 6. And soon I'll start to preach. Daniel 6 verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps 
by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Listen, my friend. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. Here was a man living in a corrupt society. The society which was based upon the old Babylonian evil. Now Darius is ruling as the leader of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel is virtually the prime minister. There are three administrators, but Daniel is the best. And when his enemies come to check him out and to audit him, they can find no blemish and no fault in this man. Daniel was above reproach. I want you to know today, our society need not influence our personal integrity. Somebody said concerning Jesus, can any good thing come out of where? Can any good thing, David, they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Because Nazareth was such a stinking little hole. But Jesus came out of Nazareth. The Prince of Purity came out of Nazareth. You can be brought up on Hollywood Boulevard and still be without corruption. You can be a child of God. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the Lord God of heaven was living in Daniel. And the Bible says that when they came to check him out, he was found Stephen without corruption. The story is told during the last century. During the last century, the 19th century. There was a king in one of the kingdoms of Europe that had just suffered a revolution there was a king, or was he a prince? I think he was a prince. And he was taken out and he was put to death. But before he was put to death, he said to his only son, My boy, remember, you are the son of a prince. I am a prince. And I'm going to go and be put to death. But you are going to live on and remember you are the son of a prince. All through your life, remember, you are the, the child of the king. This boy was sent to a great public school where the rest of the students engaged in every type of crime, stealing and cheating and lying. But this boy was conspicuous by his purity. He would not cheat. He would not lie. And the headmaster one day called him in, not knowing who he was, and said, Why are you different from the rest of the students? And he said, Sir, because 
I'm the son of a prince. And I cannot do it. I cannot cheat. And I cannot lie. And I cannot steal. Because my father was the king. Now listen to me. You and I live in one of the filthiest rat holes in the world. Pardon my saying it. We live in a place where every crime is considered today to be okay. I heard a political commentator interviewing somebody on, on the radio the other day and they were talking about the OJ case and this person said, what is the big deal? Only another two dead bodies. Why is everybody concerned? Just a man and a woman. We see it all the time. One of the attorneys on the case said, this is not a pursuit for truth. It is a case of men fighting for their own prestige and for what they are paid. Do not be deceived. We live in an age when people do not know what is up and what is down and what is left and what is right and people hardly know what is righteousness and what is evil. And therefore, if a person today determines by the grace of God that he will not be part of an evil society, people will look at him. But I want to tell you something. The man whom God can deliver from the den of lions is the man who says, I cannot do it. My father was a prince. Amen. You and I are children of God. We belong to Christ. And because we are children of God, we cannot cheat. And we cannot steal. And we cannot hate. And we cannot be racists. And we cannot be crooked. Even though everybody else in the world may be crooked, you and I cannot be part of it because we are children of the king. Amen. So they came to check out Daniel. And in this filthy situation, they said, we can't find a thing wrong with this man. There's nothing wrong with this man. Except one thing. Daniel 6 and verse 5. Finally these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Now you look at that very hard. They could make only one charge. They said, we can't charge him for def defrauding us. The books are in order. We can't charge him, Stephen, for anything except one thing. The law of his God. Listen carefully. In the last days, whether you believe it or not, the same charge is going to be made about God's remnant people. We can't find any fault with these people. They pay their taxes. You can buy a second-hand car of them. They don't lie. 
They're not crooked. They're not twisted. They're not immoral. We can find no fault with these people except one thing. The law of their God. And because they refuse to accept our mark, we won't buy from them and we won't sell to them. In fact, we'll have them put to death. That's Revelation 13. And this chapter tells us what's going to happen. Do you know how old Daniel was? Well into his 80s. When Daniel should have been sitting back and watching the roses grow, he has the greatest crisis to face. Please notice verses 6 to 9. Verses 6 to 9. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O king Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upper upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So here we have the infamous decree to compel the conscience. Let me say it again. Religious legislation is an abomination to God because it is based upon a great lie. That lie is that men can be brought to God through force through compulsion. The truth of the matter is this, that God will accept from our hearts only the service of love. And here is another great truth. Listen to this. You and I are to be loyal subjects of the government of the United States of America. We should not belong to groups that are fighting the government. This is not the way a Christian ought to go. The Bible says Jesus had rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Paul said, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, and there he was talking about the powers of the Roman Empire. So a Christian believes in fidelity to his government. If he is a Russian, he is loyal to the Russian government. If he is an American, he is loyal to the American government. We must be loyal to government unless that government should pass laws that conflict with the laws of God. Amen. Daniel had been absolutely loyal to the government of Medo-Persia, but now Medo-Persia was passing a law that said you are not to pray to any God except to Darius.
And when Daniel heard about the decree, he went home, went upstairs, the doors were open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees. It would have been, I would think, a lot easier on such occasions to say your prayers in bed. Why didn't he just get into bed and pull the, the rug over his head and pray to God? God would have heard just the same. But my friend, the honor of his God was at stake. And the universe was watching. The angels were watching. All of the Babylonians were watching. What is this man made of? Let me tell you this. A crisis does not make a hero. A crisis does not make a saint. A crisis does not make a man strong. A crisis reveals what I am. Amen. And the crisis revealed that this man was God's man. So he gets down on his knees and he prays and he knows that the edict is going to be enforced. Please read on. Please read on. Verse 11, then these men went as a group. Cowards normally operate in groups. These men went as a group. Many people would not do awful things by themselves, but they will do anything in a group. Cowards operate as groups. God's men, God's women operate as individuals went as a group. Read it again, verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about the royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. I want you to notice some words here. Daniel, who was one of the exiles from where? From Judah. And here you have a little classical case of what? Come on, what do you call it? Racism. Here is a man who does not come from our country. Here is a man from a different land who worships a different God. Racism and religion. We live in a racist society. And it's getting worse. As people turn from God, racism gets worse. We live in a racist society. 
where people measure other people by the color of their skin or where they come from and they do this because they do not understand the word of God. You cannot be a Christian and evaluate people according to their racial background. This Daniel who comes from Judah who has another God and who keeps another law. He doesn't regard you. Listen to this. Christianity makes a man or a woman colorblind. Can I have an amen from the Los Angeles people for that? Christianity will give a person the ability to look at every person in the world in a way that he doesn't see their color. He looks at them through colorblind spectacles. I want to tell you today, if you look at people because of their color or their racial background, you need to do a lot of growing in grace. And racism, let me go on record here, is not confined to any one group of people. Because within the heart of black people and white people and brown people and red people is still the same old carnal heart that needs to be renewed by the Spirit of God. We live in a racist society. I've never seen so much racism in all my life. One group against another group. Thank God we don't have it in this church because we have a group of people who are converted. I want to say to anybody who's snuck in here today who hasn't been converted and you look at people because of the color of their skin whether you're white or black or brown I say to you get converted get to know God the only hope for Los Angeles and the only hope for America to be free of racism is to be filled with Christ who came to die for all men Mm -hmm. this man this Jew doesn't regard you because he keeps a different law he's from a different country now read on notice what happens verse 15 then the men went as a group here they go again then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. I ask you, my friend, what is this reminiscent of? Here is a man who is called the beloved of heaven, a man in whom they can find no fault, a man who stands for his God and who stands for his holy law, and a man who is taken and he's thrown into a den 
and a great stone is rolled across the mouth of the den, and it is sealed. What does it sound like? Jesus. And so here Daniel is predicting what would happen to the Son of Man. In the book of Daniel, this term Son of Man is quite unique, and it refers to Jesus. But on occasions, Jesus says to Daniel, O Son of Man, here is a man who represents his God. And because of his fidelity to his God, he is thrown into the den of lions. This is one reason why I don't believe in the doctrine that says that the church is raptured home to glory before the great tribulation. <laughs> this, is, this is believed by millions of people in this country. Part of the prosperity gospel. They say, the Lord is going to come, the secret rapture is going to take place, and all of, a, all of a sudden, the saints of God are going to be raptured home to glory, and they're going to be shouting hallelujah, and then trouble is going to come to the earth. But they're going to escape all the trouble. My friend, it has never so been in the history of the world. It is a heresy. It is not taught in the Word of God. It is a heresy. Just because you belong to God doesn't mean that you're not going to be thrown into the den of lions. In fact, it seems to me that the closer you walk with God, the more chance you have of getting yourself into the den of lions and getting yourself into all sorts of troubles. The Bible says, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So they take Daniel, they put him in the den of lions, and they put the seal on it, and the king goes home, but he can't sleep because he has a bad conscience. Mm -hmm. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. My friend, there is no pillow as comfortable as a good conscience. The king could not sleep, but I venture to say that Daniel slept perfectly and snuggled up to a line. I'm telling you the truth. He snuggled up to a line and put his head down on his flank and fell asleep. There is no pillow as delightful or as comfortable as a good conscience. If you can't sleep, don't just take Valium, but also search your conscience. There is no pillow as good as a good conscience. So he couldn't sleep, and I don't care. Glad he couldn't sleep, the king. In fact, they said he didn't have anything to eat during the night. He shouldn't have had anything to eat. He shouldn't be eating between meals. He shouldn't have been eating. He didn't need any entertainment. He should have gone to bed and slept. That's what I do. Okay, verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. What does that remind you of? Yes, how they ran to the tomb. They expected that he'd be dead. 
When he came near the den, verse 20, when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, O king. Listen, here is the great theme of Daniel that comes in now. The whole book of Daniel is like a great orchestral piece, and now comes in the theme. The oppression of the saints, even though the saints are oppressed, even though they're thrown into the burning fiery furnace, even though they're thrown into the den of lions, the God of Daniel is the God who delivers. That's the theme. Even though you go through tribulation and trouble and hardship, the Bible says, fear not, because the God who lived in Daniel's time is just the same today. And so, Daniel is not hurt, not a bit, not hurt, not a bit. Now read on, the story really makes me excited. It's really a wonderful, wonderful story. Listen, listen, where are we? Verse, verse 23, the king was overjoyed, like the disciples when Jesus was raised. The king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, some would say, Daniel was preserved because the lions didn't have a good appetite. Those who believe that Daniel was preserved because of the poorness of appetite on behalf of the lions, read the next verse. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel was, were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. What do these verses teach us? Listen carefully. That God delivers his people that his people may be thrown into the den of lions, but there is a God who can close the mouths of the lions. And judgment will come upon the persecutors of the people of God. There is coming a judgment day. We spoke about it last Sabbath. I want you to know there is coming a judgment day. God is just and justice cannot sleep forever, said Abraham Lincoln. He said, when I think of what has been practiced in this country, he said, my soul is stirred when I think that God is just, and justice cannot sleep forever. God is just, and judgment will come. Those who persecute the people of God are persecuting in the persons of the people of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And judgment will come upon them. And in the last days, when the Antichrist comes against the church, 
and it appears as though the church is going to fall, our God will arise for the defense of his people. And the judgment that was pronounced against the people of God will be meted out upon the opponents of the kingdom of God. There are two signs, there are two sides to the coin. The deliverance of the saints means the condemnation and the damnation of their enemies. And so the lines, which hadn't been fed, I guess, for a few days, and that had been Daniel's night companions, now tore into a million shreds the princes, the governors, the satraps, the administrators, and before they reached the bottom of the den, they with their wives and their children were consumed. You say, how awful. The children? Yes. The way we live will largely determine the fate of our children. You say, but my children, they're on their own. No, they're not. They're with you. And the way we personally relate to God will largely determine the fate of our children and our wives and our little ones. And so judgment came upon them all. After the resurrection of Jesus, a decree went forth around the universe saying, He's alive, He's resurrected, go and tell the world. And now here's a decree. Verse 25. What a great story this is. Oh, this is a great story. Isn't this a good story? great, isn't it? Mm. It's a good sermon. It is. It's a great sermon. It's a great subject. Of course it is. Mm. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every nation, every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I want you to say it with me. Start at verse, for he is the living God part. I want you to say it. I want you to think of it together. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Listen carefully. What do we learn from all of this? I say to you, and sometimes I get this across to people and other times I don't. If you come to church and if it just goes in one ear and out the other, you will not be benefited at all. I want you to think today of the words of the old English Lord who was put to death 
during some rebellion. It wasn't hard to get put to death in those days. But before he was executed, he took off his watch and he gave it to the executioner and he said, I will have not much more use for this watch. I'm no longer dealing with time, but I'm dealing with eternity. Put up your watch, he said. I'm no longer dealing with time, but with eternity. I say to you, in the house of God today, put up your watch. You're no longer dealing with time. You're dealing with eternity. What you ladies and gentlemen do with these great truths will determine the fate of your soul for time and for eternity. This is not a pleasant song. It is not a sitcom. It is not a soapy. It's not another television program that you know is just a lot of garbage. This is the truth of God that will determine whether you spend eternity with Christ or in darkness. What do we learn from this? Number one, the evil of religious legislation. Whenever men set together to pass religious legislation, they do the work of Antichrist. Even though they are sincere, they are sincerely wrong. They're doing the work of the devil. We learn the divine right to worship and not to worship. The soul of man must be free. Every person has the right to worship God as his conscience tells him to, or not to worship God. That is your right. The only worship that God will accept is the worship of love, not compulsion. Here is the third great truth. We are to do our duty and leave the consequences with God. Daniel could have gone home and done a lot of rationalizing and said, I'll say my prayers in bed. You and I are to do one thing. You know what it is? We are to do what is right and leave the consequences with God. I could tell you of an occasion I had when I have been threatened on many occasions but I've made up my mind that I have a bottom line. My bottom line is to do the will of God. That's the most important thing. And here is the next great truth. Our God is the living God who delivers. Mm -hmm. Never forget it. I want to tell you a story. When I was in Africa a number of years ago running a campaign in Arari, Zimbabwe, or Salisbury, Rhodesia, we had the largest crowds in the history of the nation. We had traffic jams five miles around this great theater. Thousands and thousands of people coming, thousands turned away. I was invited to go out to a television station, the national television station. When I got out there, I discovered that I had been set up. There was an attempt to embarrass my church and me. And so I refused to engage in any religious debates. I would not debate over the truths of God's word. The man who was in charge of it was a man who was filled with alcohol and filled with rage. He called together a group of soldiers 
The sun was going down. When the sun sets in Africa, it's dark quickly. I was marched down a jungle road in Africa by myself with about 20 soldiers around me with submachine guns, some guns in my back. And I walked down the road, and this man followed at a distance and called out curses. I thought, this may be my last preaching engagement. The man who had superintended all of this in Arari, Zimbabwe, left us, and I was left on a jungle path in Africa with the sun set, surrounded by a group of African soldiers with guns. And when their commander left, all of a sudden they said, do not be afraid, Pastor Carter, we come to your meetings. <laughs> then they put their arms around me. We walked a half a mile in the bush and we came to a military outpost. They got on the phone. And the government sent out a limousine and picked me up. Went to the meeting that night, told the people the story of how the God of Daniel delivers.